0: You can hear the deer laughing in the woods, can't you? (laughs) Good morning, everybody. Hey, I've been mentioning that uh, Searchlight Theatre Company are coming back from uh, England. They uh, were with us last year, and we have this production, Chariots. It's happening October the 13th, and I just came out of a meeting a few minutes ago, conversation a few minutes ago, and tickets are going quickly. Uh, they've only been available online, and they still are right now. So, timberlinechurch.org, get it on your calendar, and uh, please don't wait to uh, to get your tickets. We're excited about that. Well, this weekend, we are concluding our off-road series in Exodus. A few weeks from now, we're going to be coming back to Exodus when we look at God's Ten, the Ten Commandments. But for now, uh, we are drawing this together, and the title for this weekend's message is Tabernacles and temples, tabernacles and temples, the God of the Exodus. So let's jump in and have a look at Exodus and uh, chapter 40, just a couple of verses from there. Then the Lord said to Moses, set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, on the first day of the first month. Then verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Pastor Rob mentioned my uh, intrepid capacities as an outdoors man. And uh, I have been camping a few times and how many know uh, it didn't go well? How many know that that, that, that's the likely outcome? Um, I went camping once with my family and got chased by a raccoon which was embarrassing. On another occasion, I went camping with them and got chased by a duck. <laughs> it's a kind of an attack duck, but it's, uh, it was sort of scary. Uh, one time we went camping and we arrived late and, and I set the tent up on the campsite right next to a golf course. Who knows who got hit by the ball the next day? That, that, that would be me. And, and sometimes family unity was somewhat challenged because trying to put the tent up can be stressful, can't it? I mean, you end up at the end with a spare tent peg, which is bad. Uh, for me, mostly, I would end up at the end of the process with a spare tent pole, which is never really good. But mainly this stuff happened because I wasn't carefully following the instructions. Fifteen chapters of instructions... I'm talking Exodus, 15 chapters between Exodus 25 and 40, very, very detailed and specific instructions about the building and furnishing of the tabernacle. And now we've arrived at a pivotal point in history because the tabernacle is complete, the glory of God comes down, and God, who is the omnipresent God, is locating himself he's not not being everywhere but he's revealing himself to his people through tabernacle and through temple and that's what we're going to investigate together today so let's jump in here if you're following along in the bulletin and as we draw these threads together let's realize first of all that scripture reveals god as the traveler the traveler glory in the tent the traveler Glory in the tent. Have a look at Exodus 40. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their days. Travels there was this elaborate construction. I think we here 's an image, uh, an artist 's representation of what it might have looked like this this construction and what this construction was saying was that that God is going somewhere he 's a traveler. Understand that in Old Testament thinking at this stage in history, gods, if you will, were not seen as going somewhere they were They were convenience gods. You need a harvest, ask that god. You need an answer to some wish or prayer, ask that god. The idea of a god of strategy and purpose and journey was absolutely unique in the ancient world of that time. And even when later on in their history the Jews built a temple, there was always this sense in their psyche that really it should have been a tent because God was the traveler who was tenting it, if you will, with his people. He was calling his people to journey with him, to go on in step with him. Does anyone remember when you were a child, you played that game, Simon Says? Anyone remember Simon Says? That's what we call it in England. I don't know. I I, I think it's probably called that here. It might be Chuck Says. I don't know. You know, (laughs) Simon Says. Uh, let's, Let's have a little game here. Now, guests, you don't have to participate. In fact, no one needs to participate. And if you're if you're here with your spouse, why don't you have a conversation about this right now so that no one gets embarrassed? Just go ahead and decide if you're gonna make a fool of yourself, but Simon says, do this. Simon says, do this. Simon says, do this. Simon says, do this. Simon says, do this, do this. gotcha. So close to winning the new car. That's so unfortunate. Simon says, do this. 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 Do this. Why did we just engage in that little moment of foolishness? Because it demonstrates in a simple way what the people of God are supposed to be. This is one of the best definitions of healthy church I can think of. It's not about its size or the numbers of its projects. A people who say, the cloud's moving, let's go with the cloud together. Simon says, or in this case, Jesus says, and moving with him. Not only that, God was never about revealing himself simply as a GPS system, but was calling his people into relationship. One of the heartbeats of the book of Exodus is in the sixth chapter where God says, then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I am the Lord. One One historian and theologian, uh, Elder Martin, says, in the Exodus, God offers himself to be known. God invites his people into the adventure of knowing him. Now, there are some challenges in this. First of all, what that says to us is Christianity is not just about getting your heaven insurance signed up. Christianity is not just about signing up, so, yeah, I become a Christian, and I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Important, though, that is. The issue was not just the rescue. The issue was the journey. The journey itself was the academy. Jesus says, come follow me. Are we understanding that that's what Christianity is? And are we moving and are we growing as a result of that, as individuals? I just turned 57 a few weeks ago. I know, gasps of amazement. It cannot be true. In fact, I know I look older. I've had a rough life. But I discover that at 57, generally speaking, and I don't don't want to admit this because it's a violation of of everything that I believe as a Christian. You know what? A lot of people generally don't change. They stop changing. And and they even subconsciously buy into uh, an idea, well, you know, I am what I am. I've got to be true to myself. The heart of the gospel is about ongoing transformation. Are we changing? What about our habits? Are they entrenched? Are we surrendered to them? Are we entrenched in our thinking? Here's a way of finding out whether you're growing or not. When's the last time you were wrong and you knew it? You see, people who are not growing actually think all the time that they're right a sign of growth and development is the ability to say i got it wrong and am i am i stopping and starting with god am i wanting his will now you know we 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 can get silly about this you know um i I just want the will of god for my life today does the lord want me to go to safeway or is it albertson now, you smile at that, but I, I went through that stage where I wanted an angelic visitation about every little decision. Lord, do you want me to wear the green shirt today, or the white shirt today, or the blue shirt today. And as you can see, i kind of confused this morning. <laughs> this is the attire of the indecisive man. I'm not talking about... I'm not talking about weird paranoia. I am talking about punctuating our lives with declarations of dependency where we say, I'm not rushing ahead. I would not become the victim of my own innovation. I want what God wants. And so James, in his epistle, he says in James 4, Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Well, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. There's a personal challenge here. There's a corporate challenge as well. I want to repeat it. The mark of a healthy church is the ability for us to be able to say, the cloud's moving. So now, together, let's get in step and go with God where He's going. And one very wonderful example of that has been the response to the, uh, the uh, offering that was taken, one day to feed the world last weekend. People are still giving. If you haven't, please participate. One day to feed the world. So far, $196,000 has come in. And what that means is not only does that mean that some tears are going to be wiped away from children's faces, not only does that mean that hope is going to be instilled where there hasn't been hope, but it also is something of an indication of a people who are willing to say, here's an opportunity, here's the cloud, let's go with the cloud. And those opportunities will continue. Secondly, secondly, God is revealed here as the initiator, the initiator, glory in Christ. The initiator, glory in Christ. John 1:14. look at these words. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I want you to do a little bit of work with me here. Did you notice that they built built the tabernacle? Moses was the general contractor overseeing the process. And then the glory comes and he can't get in. I mean, that's kind of irritating. And it's strange, too, because Moses had been in the presence of God on the mountain. Moses had been in the presence of God at the tent of meeting. Gets a bit confusing. There was an earlier temporary construction in Exodus before the construction of the tabernacle. Moses had been in the presence of God, and later on he would again. And later on the high priest would go in. But right there at that moment, he can't get in. What's going on here, perhaps, is that there is a moment when we see that, at very best, this is a temporary arrangement. It's like a builder handing over the keys to the new owner. If you're a builder, and you build a house, and you hand the keys to the owner, you don't say, by the way, which room is mine? You don't move in, you hand over the keys. And what's happening here is there is a recognition that this tabernacle belongs to God, but it's Surely a temporary arrangement. Okay, 500 years later, King Solomon builds a temple, but something similar happens again. Take a look when the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. So, see this tabernacle. Wonderful, but not wholly satisfying because not everyone can come in. Temple, beautiful, wonderful, but, but it's got its limitations. And then Jesus comes. And John in his gospel, for the Greek reading Jews that read his gospel, they would have understood immediately that something radical was happening because he says the word became flesh, that's Jesus, and made his dwelling among us. And the word that John uses there in the Greek is the same word that's used in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament for tabernacle. So what John is saying is, Jesus came and pitched his tent among us. Immediately, Jewish minds would go, whoa, does that mean that there's a new temple? There's a new tabernacle now and they would have been completely right because at this, in this culture where the temple is beautiful, it was Herod's temple by now, was so central in, in Jewish life. Tom Wright says the temple was the focal Point of every aspect of Jewish national life. Its importance at every level cannot be overestimated. Sandra, it's almost impossible to make too much of the temple to first century Jewish Palestine. Think White House a billion times further. So central. And then Jesus comes, pitches his tent, goes to the temple courts, and turns over the tables, sends out the money changers. Not just because of the oppression of their extortionate prices, not just because they're in the court of the Gentiles and blocking access there, but I would suggest to you that Jesus is making a prophetic act, temporarily suspending the activities of the temple because he's signaling that this is done now and something wonderfully new is coming. And then after all of that, John 2 The Jews responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? This was when he's turned the tables over. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. Jesus was saying, I'm the tabernacle now. I've come and pitched my tent. I'm the temple now. And you can you can demolish it, but it's gonna get up again in three days. And then he prophesies. Matthew 24, Jesus left the temple, was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. You see all these things, he asked. Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Jesus is saying, I'm the tabernacle. I'm the temple. We're done with this. That's over. It's coming down. The temple, originally a divine idea, had become so corrupt. And in AD 70, the Romans sacked the temple. It came down. It's never been rebuilt. You can go there today. The wailing or the western wall is all that remains. What's all this saying to us? What this is saying to us is that Jesus was calling time on temple, tabernacle, religion. Christianity, brothers and sisters, is not a religion. It's not just a system. It's not just a set of ethics. Christianity is Jesus. And Jesus, I don't want to be a religious person. Let me just say that. Sometimes people say to me, are you a minister of religion? I just say, well, can we just stick with minister? I'm not that crazy about religion. Jesus was saying it's no longer about religion or ritual or systems, but Jesus, He's our high priest. Jesus, he's the reason that we can be cleansed. Jesus, he's the reason that we can offer our worship. Jesus, he's the reason that we have the presence of God. It's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. Jesus. I'm sorry, lift up Jesus because he is now the new tabernacle. He is now the new temple. Religion banished, canceled. It's all about him. As for the future, what is it John says in Revelation? I did not see a temple in that city, in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. You see it there again? The city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. In the last service, a number of people became Christians. They made that first-time choice. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. I think some of them were doing that because they didn't, re- they didn't want a dose of religion. But they did want Jesus. Maybe today you're not a Christian because you don't want to become part of the religious deal. You don't have to be. But you can become a follower of Jesus and become part of the people of the cloud. Thirdly, thirdly, the gatherer, glory among the people of God. The gatherer, glory among the people of God. First Corinthians 3 Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred. And look at this, and you together are that temple. And then Paul again writing to the church in Ephesus, he says, In him, in Jesus the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, please get this. We've got tabernacle, God the traveler. We've got tabernacle, temple, Jesus. It's all about him. But now we're seeing that the dwelling place of God is the people of God in his presence together. Over the years here at Timberline, I've talked about various words uh, that we use in England that mean different things here and how confusing it can be. And you've heard me say this before. One of my favorite ones is the homely word. In England, if, if I wanted to say to a lady in England that she is friendly and hospitable, it would be appropriate for me to say, you are a very homely lady. <laughs> How many know that's not going to go well here? <laughs> we had an American pastor come to England with his wife, was met at London Heathrow Airport by an English pastor together with his wife, and they chatted for a while, and the English guy, wanting to be friendly and affirming, he said to the American pastor, he said, Brother, you've got a really homely wife. <laughs> and the American guy said, You didn't do so good yourself, buddy. Words can be confusing. Here's another word that's, that's lost its power. Are you ready? Church. Because we can ha- develop a vision of church. Yeah, we sing some songs and we pray some prayers and we read some Bible and then we go out and eat dead chicken. Yes. Yeah, good. Whereas the Bible calls us away from that miniaturized, truncated vision of church and says, no! You together are the dwelling place of God. It's about the presence of God. Tim Keller says, to stand in the presence of God. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is not primarily about forgiveness. It's not primarily about good feelings. It's not primarily about power. All those things are byproducts, sparks. It's primarily about the presence of God. Now, the presence of God is with us individually. But there is a dynamic... Scripture is teaching us about the presence of God filling the togetherness that is the church. Now, be careful with that. Sometimes I go places to preach, and we have the pre-service prayer meeting, which occasionally fills me with abject terror because people gather around me, and I was feeling pretty good until then, and then they massage my shoulders while they're praying, and they spit in my ear, and they say, oh, God, raise the dead today through Jeff, And and, and then they'll say this. They'll say, And thank you, Lord, that where two or three gather together in your name, the Bible says, and it does, there you are in the midst. They normally say that when they're not thinking too many people are going to show up, (laughs) just to be clear. Now, it is true. Can I just say, though, the context of two or three gather together in my name, there I am in the midst? Look at the context, it's about church discipline. It's about agreeing about discipline in a moment of sin and offendedness. So I'm just saying, let's be careful in the way we use scripture. But there is a dynamic in the church that should speak to us about preparation and participation when we come together. We realize, too, that it doesn't say that the presence of God is filling our services. Let's not get into that idea The presence of God can be there when we're out there in acts of service. It can be a conversation over coffee. But we're a people gathered and scattered who experience the presence of God. Don't have a limited view about the presence of God. Sometimes people say, well, I just just didn't feel the presence of God. And what they actually mean is I didn't get any goosebumps. Woo, did you feel that? There are times, my friends, where we're going to just come together, pray our prayers, sing our songs, listen to preaching, make a response, and go eat. We're not about just jumping higher every week. Let's not have a a small vision of what the presence of God is is like. And by the way, we're not talking about the building. I saw a children's book, and it it was a Bible story, a, a, a Christian book, rather, And there was a picture of a family walking away from a church building and mom says to the kids, wave goodbye to God, children. You know that's wrong, don't you? That's why you won't hear, I hope, us talking using language like welcome to the house of God. Because this is not the house of God. This is a facility. This is the household of God the people of God together and scattered. So, let's have a higher view of church. It's not just a learning center or a place where we sing our songs, but it is a family that centers around the uh, presence of God among them. Fourthly, finally, God is revealed here as the Redeemer. The Redeemer, glorifying God with our bodies and our lives. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Look at this. Tabernacle, Old Testament, presence of God, the traveler. Tabernacle and temple. Jesus temple, people of God. And, and, and then uh, we see here uh, it's being pushed even further because what we're seeing is that now our bodies are the, uh, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, that's a, a, a really interesting idea that, um, that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. They had an Aphrodite temple where immorality was practiced as worship. And now he's saying, don't you know that your bodies, excuse me, that your bodies are are now the temples of the Holy Spirit. He is bringing a truth here that is absolutely, uh, really radical. Now I could see it in your eyes, some of you, when I was just doing that thing just then. You were going, he has finally lost it. What I just did just then was I was trashing that which didn't belong to me. Forget the house of God thing, but for me to do what I just did is uh, disrespectful to property that is not mine. Imagine if I came over to your house and, and did that. You say, that, that, this place doesn't belong. Why are you, why are you treating it like that? Fundamentally, that is what we're learning here, that we are being called to treat the temple of our bodies with respect. I'm sorry, I cannot continue to preach with that stuff. Would you do me a favor, sir, and just come and grab it, just pick it up for me, because it's driving me crazy, the fact that it's it's still there. In fact, you can, no, don't don't add to it, just pick it up. Oh, I see, you're picking up my handkerchief with a handkerchief, yeah, I get that, that's, uh, yeah. I I think trying to put an oxygen mask on as well, that was a little bit over the top, but uh, you can take those home as souvenirs, that'll be a beautiful thing. (laughs) You know, I think our brother is seriously reducing the risk of any possible health outbreak here, (laughs) and I appreciate you taking your responsibilities so seriously. I was trashing what didn't belong to me. What this says to us is something very, very radical about the depth and the broadness of our purpose. Please know that when Paul said, glorify God with your body, the Greeks in Corinth would have said, what? The body is evil. That's why we can do whatever we like with it. No, 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 no. We want to be spiritual. And Paul is saying, no, it's your whole life, including your body. You need to use that to glorify God. That's an interesting thought. Have you ever met Christians who are spiritual? It's just that the wider areas of their lives are a mess. So they pray really good, they just don't pay their bills. They're great at fasting and they know great chunks of scripture, but they're just so rude. What's happening here is that they've got a narrowed view of what maturity is. Paul is saying, no, it's everything. Shockingly to the Corinthians, your body too. It's a deep calling. But also, it obviously speaks to us of some radical sexual ethics. Because get this, everybody, with this I'm going to conclude. Paul is not saying embrace purity because it's better for you. It is, but that's not his bottom line argument. He is not saying embrace purity because you'll be more emotionally healthy as a result. That's true, but it's not his primary point. He isn't saying embrace purity because you're less likely to get some nasty diseases if you do. That's true, but it's not his point. Look, Paul is not focusing on benefits or even prohibitions the rules, Paul goes back to title and ownership. Do this because your body doesn't belong to you. You're not an owner. You're a tenant. And on the basis of that, glorify God with your body. So when I lob trash around in my own personal life, It isn't just that it's bad for me. It is that I am disrespecting. What a radical statement this is. The temple. The temple of the Holy Spirit. Let me conclude for the second time by saying this. Not only is there exhortation here, but there's encouragement and comfort too. Because yes, it's the temple, but what's it's the temple of? The Holy Spirit. This is not grip my teeth and do better. This is not just, yeah, okay, good. Although decisiveness is important. But in this truth, we understand that we're not alone in this. But God's Spirit, the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead at work in us, in the temple, 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 and tabernacle. Tabernacle, God the traveler. Let's go with the cloud. Personally, let's go with the cloud together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we lift you up. We thank you that you have come and camped in our precinct, in our neighborhood. You are not watching us from a distance, but you have pitched your tent among us. You're our high priest. You're the reason we can be cleansed. You're everything and we worship and honor your holy name. We thank you for the truth that one day we will we will be in an existence where there will be no temple because you're it. We pray, Lord, into the corporate culture of us as Timberline Thank you for one day to feed the world. We want to be a people of the cloud. We want to be a people who know the moment and who get in line with your purposes and go where you're going. We want that to be true in our own individual lives, Lord. We don't want to run ahead of you. We want to say, if it's the Lord's will, not as a slogan, but as a heart intention. Some of us, Lord, we very consciously lay our businesses before you. We lay our employment before you. Some of us lay our unemployment before you. We, we lay the plans and the strategies that we've come up with. And we want to have an, if it be your will, heart attitude. We lay our marriages, our friendships, the decisions that we take, the decisions that we take as timberline. May we be a people of the cloud. As our heads are bowed, I have two questions. One is about the temple of the Holy Spirit truth. Some of us know that we have been trashing the temple. We've been neglecting the temple. We have been violating the temple. And I don't have to outline the different ways that that might be happening in our lives, but we just know that. And it's not just because it's bad for us. It is because we are recognizing that it doesn't belong to us, that temple. There's an ownership issue here. If you know specifically that God is challenging you about that this morning, I want to ask you as our heads are bowed just to slip your hand up for a moment, please, because you're saying, I I I want that pattern to stop. Would you go ahead and do it right now? I want to take action on this. Thank you for doing that all around this place. You can put your hands down. Secondly, before I wrap this up in one more prayer, maybe, sir or ma'am, you decided you didn't want to become a religious person, but today the light has gone on, and you're realizing that this is not about religion. It's about Jesus and being with him and knowing him by faith and being around him and his people forever many people in this place today many of us have made a decision to say Jesus okay I'm I'm, I'm with you where are you going can I come I did that when I was 17 revolutionized my life today could be your day you don't want religion but you do want Jesus that's true for you. You're you're wanting to become one of his followers, a Christian. Turn the reins of your life over to him. Turn from your stuff and go for his stuff. I'm going to ask you as our heads are bowed, would you just slip your hand up for a moment, please? Do it now. as a way of saying, yeah, that's that's my choice. I, I want to be a follower of his. Just do it now before I pray, and then put your hand down. Thank you. At the back, I've seen you're right there. Thank you so much. Others. And I want to appeal to any of you. You can put your hands down. I want to appeal to any that are making that decision, especially to become a follower of Christ. Our prayer team will be here in a few moments at the end. Please don't rush off. Have a moment. They've got resources to share with you. Lord, for those who are edging towards you now, Jesus, Jesus, for those of us that are wanting to honor you with our bodies, the temple, encourage us, strengthen us, help us to follow through, we pray, by your grace, through your spirit. We agree in Jesus' name. Everyone said, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Come on, soul, get in line. As we go, you can keep your eyes open for this prayer. I pray that we, God's people, this week, in times of uncertainty and fear, that we'll say, bless the Lord, O my soul. I pray that when we're wondering about that that job or that lack of a job or we're concerned about that marriage relationship and in that moment of misunderstanding, we'll say, bless the Lord, O my soul. Because we're leaving the facility, but the temple is in the temple. (laughs) That's Jesus. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And ladies, if I may say so, you're looking real homely today. of the word. God bless you. Have a great weekend.